Hello there and welcome to the Violin Geek Podcast. I'm your host Laurel Thompson and today I wanted to dive into the topic of performance anxiety and discuss some tools and tips for dealing with it and hopefully some ideas that are a little bit different than what you might have heard before. I first experienced stage fright as a teenager. Thankfully, it is much, much, much better now and I will discuss why, why I think it's better now. But it's of course something that comes up for I think most of us at some point or another and certainly it's something that has come around in my teaching studio. It tends to come around maybe every year or so. There's a little flurry of auditions or performances or something going on and people start to get a little nervous. And again, that's totally normal, but it's nice to have some ways to deal with it other than to just kind of grin and bear it or to flail around on stage or in the audition room and feel bad about ourselves afterwards. So we definitely want to avoid all of that. And if you're someone who does not experience any of this, you are just cool as a cucumber whenever you perform for others. That is amazing. And Maybe you want to write in and tell us your tips and tricks, but you still might want to listen and pick up maybe something to share with others. It's just such a common problem, and I've discussed it in my blog a little bit here and there and on the podcast, but it's been a while, so it felt like a good time as we're starting a new year and people might want to be preparing things for the spring and summer, getting into some music camps and stuff like that. So I hope you enjoy. But before we dive into all of that, I want to just thank everyone for rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen. That does help others find it, kind of boost the ratings out there. So if you've done that recently, I really appreciate it. If not, then you can go wherever you listen and most places at least have an up to a five-star rating. And hopefully I'm five stars, but hey, be honest. And some places also have the ability to write a little review, which is of course optional. You can just rate and not review, or you can rate and review. Both are very helpful and I appreciate it. And before we dive in, I want to let you know that we are listening to one of my pieces as our intro and outro music today. This is a piece called Rough 9-6, and that was September 6th (laughs) when I wrote the piece about... Gosh, over 10 years ago, I wrote that piece. And it's a piece that for whatever reason had little spots that always made me a little nervous. It kind of starts with a little bit of a cadenza-like opening. And it's not any harder than anything else I've ever played. Certainly, it's a lot easier than a lot of the classical concertos. But just for some reason, maybe because it just kind of keeps this certain pace and it's supposed to be nice and fun and kind of gypsy-like all the way through, it was a piece that for a long time just I was always a little bit nervous to see it coming up next and and just that thought, of course, I hope I'll do okay. So it's kind of funny how certain things happen like that and we just don't really even know why. But I hope you do enjoy that piece and if you're interested in checking it out, I will have the link in the show notes. All right, let's talk about this. So first off, I have to say that before I found ways to deal with performance anxiety, I spent many years trying to get away from it. And that didn't mean that I wasn't performing, 
but it just meant that I was just trying to get rid of the symptoms. I thought that that was my goal, to get rid of the symptoms. And when the symptoms started, I don't know if I even recognized them as performance anxiety. I was maybe 10 or 11, and my mom started commenting after my performances, wow, Laurel, your cheeks are so red, are you okay? And she would maybe feel my forehead, you know, concerned mother, thinking maybe I had a fever or something like that, and go, I'm fine, mom, leave me alone, (laughs) you know? And within a couple years of that, I started getting other symptoms. So I would get mostly a bouncy bow. I couldn't control my bow sometimes, and it would just hit me randomly sometimes. I wouldn't even really feel like a racing heartbeat or anything that was a little bit more obviously performance anxiety. I would just suddenly feel like all my strokes were a ricochet. <laughs> Go, ah, what is happening? And it really started around the time that the youth orchestra I was in was starting to do these almost weekly seating tests. I feel like at least every other rehearsal, there would be just a moment halfway through where the conductor would just kind of put down his baton and say, okay, we're going down the first violins or, you know, we're going down each stand or we're going individually and we would just have to stand up and play in front of everyone, including the you know, woodwinds and the brass instruments and just feeling all of those eyes on you so suddenly was just completely terrifying. And that started happening a lot, I think, because there were quite a few students who were really competitive in the group. And I honestly think it was their parents and maybe their teachers who were really pestering the conductor to continuously do these seating tests. It really wasn't happening in other sections of the orchestra that often. Like occasionally he'd go through the cellos, occasionally go through the violas, maybe once a season, I felt. And then (laughs) us poor violins, it was just constantly. And so I kind of lived in fear for a few years there. And that's really where the symptoms started, unfortunately. And it's kind of understandable, right? That is a lot of stress. And some might say, well, that's kind of preparing us for real life. And eh, yeah, maybe. (laughs) But still, it probably could have been handled in a little bit of a, a better way. But but that was my story. That's what happened. And after the kind of unintended ricochet bow, the other symptom that started creeping in a lot was sort of a hyper vibrato where probably my hand was just really tense. I was kind of afraid to lose my pitch perhaps. And so I still wanted to have a vibrato on my notes, but I really couldn't create maybe as wide or as lush of a sound. And I certainly wasn't really in control over any of those factors of vibrato. Just sort of a one-size-fits-all vibrato. It was just fast and narrow. So basically nervous-sounding vibrato. And that was another thing where it just would creep up on me and I would be there and just be going like, ah, this is not how I want this to sound. And I just felt like I wasn't really in control of my body. And so a lot of people, when they're thinking about performance anxiety and their experiences, 
will talk about similar situations where they just feel like their body kind of takes over and it's almost like they're in a runaway vehicle or something and they're trying to play their piece, but certain elements of their technique is just out of their control. And we have to think about what's really happening when all of that adrenaline is rushing through our body. Really, it's trying to get us out of the situation. It's that flight or fight response, or I guess people have added now freeze response. So one of those is happening, or all of those are happening at once. And it makes perfect sense that if we need to run away from something, what's going to be emphasized just in our physiology? Well, it's going to be probably our legs <laughs> so that we can run away from the tiger that's chasing us or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, we're probably not going to have really fine motor control in our fingers and arms anymore. It's certainly not as as well as we might if we were relaxed in our own bedroom or practice room. Other symptoms that I've experienced before, of course, a racing heartbeat, a dry mouth. Some people experience sweaty palms. I've thankfully never had that situation, but I know that that can make it very difficult to stay on the fingerboard, to stay on the strings, to not be slipping and sliding all over the place. Of course, with a rapid heartbeat, there might be changes in our breathing, we might be breathing more shallow, we might feel faint, we also might be starting to breathe more heavily, kind of like a hyperventilation situation. All of these are common symptoms of performance anxiety. And in addition to these sorts of physical symptoms, we could also be experiencing mental and or emotional symptoms, which may just kind of float out there on their own without any actual physical symptoms that, of course, do let us know, yes, I am anxious. Some of the mental emotional symptoms can be a little bit more sneaky and sort of exist under the surface and almost start to feel kind of normal because almost everyone has them. Like say, for instance, oh, I hope I can pull this off, you know, these kind of thoughts or I hope I don't make a mistake or gosh, I'm really afraid of that run on page two. You know, all these sorts of thoughts where we're not feeling super confident are at least low level symptoms of some kind of anxiety. And it's okay to have them. It's just a matter of do they support good performances or do they lead to situations where we've done so much work we have prepared for so many hours we've done everything and then still our performance suffers which is just so sad and can get us into this endless loop of trying harder and harder and harder and almost because we've tried so hard we think we should be doing better than we are and then when the performance anxiety sets in and we don't do nearly as well as we know we can play our pieces it just gets even more scary to go out there and perform and the performance anxiety just grows and grows and yeah <laughs> i've been there and I'm sure a lot of you have been there as well. It's just so sad that so many of us 
do have these concerns. I mean, it would just be nice to share the music and to have that confidence and to know that we can do no wrong. So that's where most of this chat is hopefully going to go today. But I just kind of wanted to set the stage a little bit with my experience and what performance anxiety might look like for different people. And then I can say that the turning point, I had a few along the way, but one of the main turning points for me was hearing the violinist Victoria Molova. I believe it was Victoria Molova. I was trying to find the video actually, and it could also have been Nadja Salerno Sonnenberg, but one of the two in any case, I do, I do think it was Victoria Molova, uh, talking in an interview about her performance anxiety. And I was blown away by hearing that someone of her caliber could have performance anxiety. This was somewhere towards the end of my teen years, I believe. Maybe I was 18, 19, maybe maybe 20. Somewhere in that range is where I came across this interview. And it completely changed my view of performance anxiety. I suppose before that, I thought that I had performance anxiety because I wasn't good enough yet. And a lot of my teachers, especially getting into college, sort of supported that, I think, and just sort of the things that they would say, like, well, you just have to do it more, just with more practice and more practice performing, Every everything here is going to get better, you're going to be okay. It's nice to hear that you're going to be okay, but I think I assumed that they meant that as I became a better violinist, as I became a better performer, the symptoms would just magically go away. And then when they didn't, when they were actually getting worse and worse as time went on, I really had to take a step back and I started wondering if I was even supposed to be doing this. So listening to this interview with someone who was clearly good enough, with someone who was clearly well-prepared, was clearly amazing violinist, would still say, yeah, I'm still terrified every time I step out on stage. I just went, whoa, okay, <laughs> we need to rethink this. Before that point, I had done a lot of different breathing exercises, and I'd done some hypnotherapy, which was very helpful, sort of imagining how I would feel confident on stage, trying to practice in my room, but imagine that I'm there and I'm playing for people and I feel just as comfortable as I do in my bedroom. And I was also trying, I never tried beta blockers or anything like that, but I was also trying some more natural sort of approaches, herbs and stuff like that, homeopathy, uh, valerian, you know, kava kava, these sorts of things to just try and like kind of calm myself down. But it's almost like in taking something, I felt like, okay, this better work. And that almost made me more anxious. So um, none of that was very helpful. I would say early on, probably the best thing was probably the hypnotherapy. And it just kind of took a while for me to figure out how that picture of me standing confidently was going to really work with these symptoms. I mean, it's it just feels like such a contrast when you are there in that moment standing on stage and you feel everything washing over you and you just wonder how you're ever going to play and then you just try and imagine okay I'm, I'm confident you know almost like mind over matter it or something and it took a while to just sort of 
figure out how all the puzzle pieces would fall into place. But for the most part, that little shift of hearing that someone who I really admired could also have performance anxiety really set me on a new path because then I realized, okay, maybe the goal is not to get rid of the performance anxiety. Maybe the goal is to work with it and to be able to perform despite it. That was huge. And it's a question, if you do deal with performance anxiety, that I'd like you to ponder. If you have one takeaway from this episode, is there a way that I can play despite the symptoms? And we might feel like, well, no, but those are just the symptoms that we can trace back to some kind of physiology, some kind of tension, and we can still have a little bit of those nerves there, but find a way where they don't bubble up to the surface so much that they are affecting our actual technique. It seems like a stretch, maybe if we're like right in the feeling of it, but from personal experience, I can say that is indeed possible and is something that we will have to practice. So in some sense, my early teachers were not too far off with their recommendations to just keep going and it'll get better. But again, I was trying to get rid of the symptoms. And if they had told me, no, you just have to find a way to play despite them, that would have made all the difference. And a good way to maybe simulate that is to not just practice when you feel nice and calm and relaxed and you've had a good sleep and you've been nourished that day with the food you're eating and whatnot, but to maybe actually run around the block a few times, do some jumping jacks, get your heart rate up, and then try and practice. Or practice when you're feeling kind of tired and exhausted and you don't feel like you can focus very well. I wouldn't recommend doing that, of course, every day. We want to be well-rested and focused when we're practicing, but just to recognize that sometimes we're not going to be in tip-top shape. We're not going to have as much control maybe over our environment because we're traveling or something, and we're still going to need to perform at our best. So can we simulate this somehow in our practice room so that we get that experience of playing with a rushing heartbeat and we have that experience still performing our piece when we feel tired and exhausted. Yes, these are things that you do want to do from time to time and get good at being able to still perform under the pressures of these less than ideal physical situations. We should also make time to perform in small ways quite frequently. I know growing up, I had auditions here and there throughout the year, and I maybe had a couple of recitals here and there, and that was about it for quite a few years. 
And so it always felt like this huge, momentous occasion. And it was like do or die. It was my time to show everyone what I'd accomplished. And there's just a lot of pressure in that. And once I got to the point where I was touring 100, 150 dates a year, it was really interesting to recognize that I was not the only factor in the equation of a show's success. There was the vibes in the room, honestly, the audience, the presenter, the marketing going into the performance and how that was presented and how that set up the audience's expectations for the show. Just so many factors that I realized were not entirely in my control and certainly I could play very much the same show night to night but have completely different experiences sometimes. Some nights where you just feel like you walk out on stage and the audience adores you. You can do no wrong. They already love you. They already want you to shine. And it's just so nice to play into that. And then the next night you could go and play the exact same program, but you feel like everyone's kind of stiff and stoic and almost like they were dragged there at gunpoint or something like that. You know, we used to call them the shotgun audiences. Someone, you know, came and forced them into the show. They just didn't feel like they wanted to be there. And that's really difficult. And even if you're not really able to see the audience, the lights are dim or whatever, it still is a feeling that can fill the room for better or for worse. And so that was very eye-opening for me. And back when I was... Growing up and I was only playing a few concerts a year, I just didn't have enough experience to recognize that there were factors outside of just my own performance and my preparation that could affect the overall success of a show. So that felt good, actually. It felt good to sort of take control in the areas that I did have control over, like how I'm prepared, how well I slept how I'm feeling that day, you know, we still don't have complete control over those things, but we can do our best with our preparation. And then from there, we kind of let it go. And we have to recognize that it is a much bigger puzzle that we are playing with. And we just try our best to work with the elements that are presented to us. Sometimes we don't know what it's going to be like until we really arrive there on stage, but at least through having a lot more experience, it helped me so much to just be able to navigate these situations. And oh yeah, I've been here before. <laughs> just keep on going. Do my best. This is my part and I'll play my role. But I don't expect everyone out there listening to immediately go on tour tomorrow. So I highly recommend, if you're not doing it already, I know I've talked about it a lot in various podcasts, but make a habit of recording yourself frequently. And by frequently, I mean probably once a week at least, at least once a month, I would say. And I would recommend listening, or if it's a video recording, watching the video, because we can learn a lot about our playing and kind of be our own teacher when we do that. But even if you're not going to do that, just pressing record can make all the difference with simulating, again, that performance atmosphere. I still get a little bit nervous sometimes when I hit record, and I have to recognize that it's happening because I want to do well. And that's actually something that we want to celebrate 
yay, I want to do well. Of course I want to do well. I want to do well during my recording. I want to do well when I'm on stage. Of course, everyone wants to. Why else would we be doing this? So I feel like even that realization was pivotal for me. Anxiety symptoms weren't something that were bad. They were just symptoms of something actually good, but just kind of misplaced and obviously not helpful, but in some way my body was trying to be helpful. It was trying to keep me safe and it wanted me to, like I said, do well in the situation. So I feel like in that acceptance, there might be a little bit of an opening where we can find a way again to work with the symptoms and still play despite them and still play our best despite them. So that's another thing to recognize just when you do feel them come up and you probably, in my experience, never fully get away from them, but just to recognize like now when they come up to me, I just kind of go, oh, it's like, hello. It's just, oh, I know you. Hi. And they're just sort of there in the atmosphere in my body, but I'm not completely overtaken, overwhelmed by them. Just maybe in recognizing that they're there and accepting that they're there. Another tool that I've used for dealing with this uh, is just playing in some different places. That was something that I recognized a little bit later, but just different environments I noticed would sometimes set me off. If a stage was a certain height or if a room had a certain acoustics, maybe that I wasn't used to, maybe especially if the acoustics were a little bit more extreme on one side or the other. So if the acoustics made the room really kind of bright and lots of reverb versus also like a really dead space where it just feels like you're playing a cardboard box. Neither of those were ideal. (laughs) Of course, probably to pick one or the other, I would pick the cathedral setting, but there it just feels like everything you're playing is just so amplified, right? So we can kind of shy away from that a little bit. And the cardboard box experience just is always terrible to me anyway. So um, tell that to some of these recording engineers who have these little vocal booths and everything just sounds so dry. And I think, ah, yes, I know they're gonna put reverb on later. (laughs) But right now, I don't even know if I can play. It just sounds terrible. Did I need to put on new strings, you know? these kind of things. So performing in different situations, of course, is important. And if we're used to just playing in our bedroom, then we want to at least maybe move around the house a little bit sometimes, go play in the bathroom, go play in the living room, go play in the garage, go play outside. Playing outside is really interesting. And of course, I've done that a lot in my life, playing at different events and festivals And depending on if you're acoustic or if you're amplified, that of course makes a huge difference. But particularly playing acoustically outside where, yeah, your sound is not really going to be bouncing off too much. Most of the time it's just going off into the sky somewhere, being blown away by the wind. And so it can kind of have that feeling like we really have to work to project and we have to do things with our tone, our vibrato, to still make the music sound nice and full and resonant. And most importantly, perhaps, 
when we're outside, we're not necessarily playing for our neighbors, but we have a little bit more of that feeling, again, of performance. Maybe someone might overhear us, and that can stir up a little bit of those nerves that we can work on playing through. We, of course, could take playing outside a little bit further, and we could actually go busking, which is the term for playing on the street, being a street musician. And you would want to check your local ordinances and make sure that nothing like that is illegal where you want to busk. But I feel like even if you can't find that information, as long as you don't put out a tip jar, you're probably going to get away with, at worst, a warning. So pretty safe to just maybe go to a park and whip out your instrument and play a few songs. Again, maybe no one really hears you. Maybe some ducks in the pond hear you. Maybe a couple people passing by hear you, but you're exercising those performance muscles a little bit and it might bring up those nerves but you'll probably feel pretty comfortable pretty quickly because it's a very low pressure situation there's not going to be a huge audience of eyes on you probably unless you're doing really well perhaps and you're in a busy environment but that's probably not the busking spot I would choose first I would choose just like I said, a park or a street corner that doesn't have a ton of traffic. You can work your way up to some prime busking spots down the road if you really take to it. And of course, we can take that a step further by perhaps volunteering to play at an old folks home or a homeless shelter, retirement communities, something like that. These places, people are generally at least the people who work there are really looking for musicians to come and kind of break up the day and have something new and fresh. I can say that most of my experiences in these sorts of places have been really positive. However, when people are down and out, sometimes they say things that they wouldn't normally say, and it's not necessarily personal. So it is in some interesting way, a nice way to develop a thicker skin around performing. I played at a homeless shelter in Calgary, Alberta once, where halfway through the show, this fellow came in, obviously very angry, and he started madly kicking, there was some elevator doors that I could see sort of off to the side of the stage, and he just kept kicking and kicking and kicking the door, and we just kept playing and there were some people that worked there who went and eventually were able to lead him away and the show went on but that was interesting i also had a couple years of working in a hospital i was hired on as a kind of musician who would travel around on the different units and I feel like that was a big turning point for me as well, because I was always solo and I never really knew who I was playing for. I would say about 75% of the time I was just playing in the hallways. And then the other times I was actually playing in the doorways of different people's rooms who had requested music. But I was kind of put on the spot, just these very quiet environments and then suddenly I just had to fill the space with music and that was always a little bit nerve-wracking I think yeah it was a good way to just 
feel like I could take up a little bit of space. I felt like that was maybe something that was lingering from the past, that feeling of not being good enough or something like that. Or it's like, hey, I'm hired to be here. I have to do eight hours a week here. So I'm going to fill up this space with music. And whoever hears me, hopefully they feel more at peace by hearing this music or they feel more enlivened by feeling this music or just trying to put out good energy into the space. And that was a good shift of focus that happened pretty quickly where I would start off maybe feeling a little nervous, but then within the first song, I would start to feel like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm meant to be here and I'm trying to do good. And of course, there were some interesting experiences that happened there. One day, I think it was probably the oncology unit that I was playing on, and a nurse came over and she was so apologetic and she said, I'm so sorry, but we're going to have to ask you to move along to a different unit because there's someone who's not doing well and they think that the angels are coming for them. They think that they're dying hearing your music and we keep telling them that it's just a violinist down the hallway, but they don't believe us. And I suppose I could have come and met them and played for them, but I guess that wasn't really possible. They just, they wanted me to move along. And so I understood and tried not to take that personally. All of these experiences were a really good training ground for me. And I wish I could have done all of them. (laughs) (laughs) before I was in that situation back in the youth orchestra, having to stand up in front of everyone and do a seating test audition every week or every other week, whatever it was, I think I could have played through that so much better. I really do. But I was pretty young and we just didn't know. We didn't know. My mom was trying to help me my teachers were trying to help me, but it really did take having those experiences. But again, having performance experiences where I wasn't trying to get rid of the anxiety, I just needed to play through it. So some other tools that I feel have helped me deal with performance anxiety have been exercise, particularly running and high intensity interval training and yoga. These sorts of exercises where we need to have determination and stamina and keep going, even if we're feeling like we can't go any further. (laughs) So we're holding a yoga pose and our muscles are starting to cry out to us and we just breathe a few more deep breaths or we're running and our calves start to feel like they're going on fire and we just go, no, I can see that tree over there. I'm at least going to get there. And we try to just kind of scan through our body and find little muscles here and there that maybe we can try and relax a little bit just to keep going a few more yards, this sort of thing. And of course, the high intensity interval training, you can download apps for that. The idea is that you do high intensity, different exercises in a high intensity way, but then you kind of cycle through different exercises fairly quickly and kind of keep your heart rate up and work different areas of your body and that yeah you can feel like 
you just can't go any further sometimes, but yet you find a way to still breathe through it and make it to the end despite the discomfort. And that can feel so good. And I think we can relate that back to getting through a concerto, just feeling like we have that determination to make it through no matter what. And of course, we have a lot of judgments sometimes about how things are going along the way. And I'm sure professional athletes maybe have that as well. But the nice thing about exercise and just working the body in that way, to me, I I feel like there's not a lot of room to worry about things and to judge things. It's kind of putting me in the moment a little bit more. And I think that's also possible with our music. So I invite you to see if there's a way to make playing music a little bit more in the moment. Can you make the music vivid in your mind? How does it sound? How does it feel to play your instrument? And really fill your whole mind and your whole body with that kind of feeling when you're playing versus sort of dividing our attention between listening to how we're sounding, but also kind of judging and comparing maybe to other people or other performances we've made, stuff like that. See where that takes you. I'd be fascinated actually to hear some emails from you and uh, see what you think. And similarly to how I was inspired in some way by hearing that someone else who I admired was having performance anxiety, I think hearing stories of people overcoming great adversity, to me anyway, is really helpful in sort of developing that greater determination and confidence in myself. Lately, I've been listening to the podcast Against the Odds, which I will warn you is not 100% happy endings, but listening to these true life stories of people surviving these incredible situations, situations that would kill most of us, has really left me with sort of a renewed inspiration for overcoming the challenges that I face towards my goals. And I highly recommend whether you listen to that podcast or maybe read some biographies or autobiographies of different people just as opposed to kind of normalize the fact that we all struggle no one's perfect in this day and age of social media and Instagram and just people kind of posting a lot of the successes out there you know you think oh you know everyone is doing better than me but it's not true we've all had struggles and more and more I realize that It's about staying in the game. Just you keep going. It's not about making that Carnegie Hall debut at eight years old. It's about taking one step and taking another step. And you never stop taking steps. You just keep going and you do it forever. It's what you do because like these people in these amazing stories, you are a survivor too. And your music will survive, no matter what kind of challenges life throws at you. Mm -hmm. 
mentioned earlier, I did also try hypnotherapy along the way. I was a teenager and my mom took me to the woman who would later actually become my hypnotherapy teacher. I actually went through and became a clinically certified hypnotherapist because yeah, I wanted to help others. And I did see the value in that sort of work, particularly in working through some of the early traumas that led to the performance anxiety and also this idea of future pacing. So envisioning situations that were like turning a new page and having a new experience. So assuming you're not driving a car or operating heavy machinery right now, if you want to experience just a quick little hypnotherapy-like process that you can just do anytime to help you feel a little bit more confident, I want you to imagine a circle in front of you. And if you happen to be in your practice room or on a stage, although I don't necessarily expect that, why don't you imagine that circle on the stage or in front of your stand in your practice room. And I want you to fill the circle with the qualities that you would love to have when you're standing in that spot performing on your instrument. You could think of some adjectives. You could think of more of a feeling. You could envision more of a color. And you could do all of those things. So sort of like we're filling... Santa's sack with presents, we're filling that circle in front of our stand or out on stage or in front of us right now with all of those amazing qualities that we would love to have every time we pick up our instrument. And we want to just take a few moments to allow our imagination to create that beautiful circle, so many positive qualities that we deserve to have, that others deserve for us to have so that we can perform at our best and share this beautiful music that will touch so many people's lives. And when you feel like your circle is complete, at least complete for today, I would like you to step forward into that circle. And if you can't physically step forward into that circle because you're sitting down or something like that, imagine yourself stepping into that circle. And as soon as your feet land within that circle, feel a wave of all of those feelings and qualities wash through you. And notice how your body feels. It would not be uncommon to suddenly feel like you can take a deeper breath. Maybe you feel like you can stand up a little taller or sit up a little straighter. Really open your chest. Maybe a smile crosses your lips. And take a few deep breaths as you allow all of these qualities to infuse your body down to the smallest, most microscopic cells of your body. You feel these qualities coursing through your veins as your blood moves easily around your body, spreading nourishment, spreading calm. You feel it all the way through your nerve endings, 
out to the bounds of your skin. And you even feel these qualities spreading out beyond the bounds of your body to really encompass you in this beautiful sphere of confidence and just all of these qualities that you've imagined. You are glowing. And every time you step into this circle, you will feel all of these qualities again. And as you practice, these qualities will become more and more infused within the fibers of your being, your body, your mind, your spirit. And it will become easier and easier to access these qualities anywhere, anytime, simply by imagining a circle. You might even feel these qualities when you see circles. How many circles do we see as we go about our day-to-day life? A cup, a pan, a wheel, the sun, the moon. Every time you see a circle, you'll feel more and more confident, more and more at ease, knowing that you have all the qualities you need to be successful. And let's just take another nice deep breath together and sigh it out. And thank yourself for taking the time to reset. It'll be so exciting to see how our lives change for the better. And thank you for joining me on that experience. I hope you enjoyed it. These sorts of exercises, as simple as they seem, I found very beneficial in my path towards accepting and finding a way to work with performance anxiety, particularly perhaps in helping me to shift my focus. And when I was experiencing some symptoms to have something to occupy myself with instead of worrying about the symptoms and stressing about the symptoms, but like the circle of performance there, having something where if I do feel some symptoms starting to creep in, I can just sort of more quickly scan my body and get back to that state that I want to be in, which might not completely alleviate the symptoms, but again, it's not going to lead me down that snowball effect of there's the symptom. Oh no, can I get rid of the symptom? Oh no, it's getting worse. Oh no, now I had a bad note. Oh no, (laughs) right? Where it just gets worse and worse. It just completely cuts that off because I'm so focused on something else in that moment. And we could do that as well, like I said before, with the music. We could focus more and more on our delivery of the music, how we want the music to sound, Maybe think of a very vivid, colorful storyline to the music we're playing and sort of watch it like a movie in our head. I do that a lot, actually. But something that is not really a distraction from what we're doing, but it's just getting us a little bit closer to the matter at hand. We are performing, we are sharing, we are standing up in front of people. So let's just fill ourselves with things that will allow us to focus on the task at hand a little bit more directly rather than these symptoms that just happen to be passing by (laughs) and let them just be that symptoms that are passing by. And we do have to recognize and appreciate that sometimes these symptoms feel so strong and they overwhelm us so much that it can feel as though there is no way to avoid the symptoms that can derail our performances. 
So in conjunction with the processes we might find in hypnotherapy, like future pacing, I have really found some benefit to yoga nidra, which I came across about 25 years ago and loved it. And it just kind of felt like this thing that no one knew about. And now it has become very popular, thanks in part to Andrew Huberman and folks like that who are now bringing it to light, which is amazing. And you might have also heard of it as non-sleep deep rest. A lot of Yoga Nidra recordings focus on the body scan aspect of Yoga Nidra, which is kind of just the first step. And that can be wonderful for some relaxation in the morning or halfway through your day or in the evening before you go to sleep. But I find that the part of the yoga nidra process that has really helped me is actually the one that people tend to leave out the most. And maybe because it is dealing with opposite emotions and opposite feelings in the body and actually bringing up some what we might call negative emotions in order to create a detachment from both the negative quote unquote emotions and the positive emotions of these opposites. And that has created a great training ground, I feel, for just being able to skillfully navigate some of these emotions, to not have these emotions have such a strong grip on us that they can really overtake us, at least for myself. And so I'd like to share a short yoga nidra that will include these other steps that I'm mentioning. There's a few other steps other than the body scan and the opposites as well. But just to give you a little taste of what that would be like, focusing primarily on the opposites. And so if you feel like you're not in a space to deal with, say, nervousness right now, and imagining being nervous at this particular moment, like if you're about to perform later on today or something like that, then that's totally understandable. And you might just come back to this recording a little bit later and check it out. But I promise you, if you do listen ahead here, that I will leave you in a good place at the end, hopefully a better place than when you started, in fact. So for yoga nidra, which actually translates to yogic sleep, Generally, we're going to lie down and you can lie down on the floor, maybe on a yoga mat, or you can lie down on your bed, or if you prefer to sit up, that would be fine as well. But you want to get into a comfortable position where you can really let your body just rest into the surface you're lying on, a place where you don't feel like you have to hold your head up or hold your shoulders up or anything like that. So if you need to stop this recording and get comfortable, go ahead and do so. Otherwise, if you're feeling pretty comfy right now, let's dive in. First, let's just notice how we're breathing. And in noticing how we're breathing, notice if our breathing changes just by noticing. It might become a little bit deeper, a little bit longer. Our exhale might become a little bit more relaxed. And assuming it's safe to do so now, or a few moments from now, go ahead and close your eyes. And let's go ahead and deepen the breath just a little bit. And particularly, let's deepen the exhalation just a little bit. And you might find a place where your body wants to move a little bit. See if you can find a place where your body can feel just a little bit more comfortable. 
there's nothing to do for a while. We're just going to take some time to listen to my voice and find a place where you'd like to relax just a little bit deeper. And now I'd like you to draw your attention to your feet. Draw your attention down all the way to the bottoms of your feet. And in your mind's eye, let's trace the contour of the arch of your right foot and the arch of your left foot. Let's imagine your right big toe and your left big toe. In our mind's eye, let's trace along each toe of the right foot and each toe of the left foot. And let's find the spot where your right heel contacts the ground and where your left heel contacts the ground. And go ahead and notice your right calf muscle, your left calf muscle, your right knee, your left knee, your right thigh and hamstrings, your left thigh and hamstrings. And now notice your right hip and your left hip. your right lower back and your left lower back. And we'll trace a line up the right side of your body to your armpit. And then the left side of your body to your armpit. And here let's feel both shoulders. And let's take our attention all the way down the right arm into the elbow, the forearm, the wrist, the right thumb, right index finger, middle finger, ring finger, and pinky finger. Let's draw our attention back to the left shoulder and all the way down the left arm into the elbow, the forearm, the wrist, the left hand thumb, the index finger, middle finger, ring finger, and all the way to the pinky finger. Imagine the tips of all 10 fingers. And then draw your attention up both arms back into your shoulders and up into your neck and feel the back of your neck. Perhaps there's a gentle space between your skin and the surface you're resting on, or perhaps your neck rests into a pillow. And take another nice deep breath and just exhale and let that exhalation wash all the way down your spine all the way to the bottoms of your feet. And then come back up to the base of your skull and feel the back of your head resting on the surface you're lying upon. And notice the top of your head. 
your right jaw, your left jaw, your right cheekbone, your left cheekbone, your right ear, and your left ear. Now draw your attention to both temples, both eyebrows, your right eye, your left eye, your nose, and your mouth. And finally, draw your attention to your forehead and imagine that you're breathing in and out of your forehead, calming the brain, centering your focus. And now imagine the left nostril and pretend that you're inhaling just through the left nostril all the way to the center of your head. And when you exhale, let's pretend that we can exhale through the right nostril, letting everything go. And as you inhale the next time, imagine that you're inhaling just through the right nostril. And that breath passes through the mind's eye and exhales over to the left. Inhaling through the left, Exhaling through the right. Inhaling through the right. Exhaling to the left. Continue imagining the breath passing back and forth through the nostrils for a few moments at your own pace. And now at your own pace, finishing with an exhalation through your left nostril, and then imagining that you're breathing equally from the bottoms of both feet all the way up to the top of your head, inhaling up and exhaling from the top of your head all the way back down to the bottoms of your feet, breathing in new possibilities, and exhaling anything that no longer serves you. And from this calm and peaceful place, I'd now like you to imagine what nervousness feels like in your body. Notice if there's a place in your body where nervousness starts. Notice if nervousness comes with a story, with an image. Nervousness might just be a feeling. It might even be a color. Let nervousness live in your body for just another moment. 
And now let that go and fill your body with a sense of feeling assured, knowledgeable, physically capable, and emotionally skilled. Imagine all these qualities that we might need for a fabulous musical performance. Notice where these feelings live in your body. Notice if they have a story, an image, or a color associated with them. And now also let these feelings go and return to your peaceful, relaxed state. Take another nice deep breath and let it go. And now let's return to the feeling of nervousness. Like we're turning the dial on a radio. We turn on the nervousness and then we turn the dial in the opposite direction and the nervousness goes away. Let's do the same for that feeling of being assured, knowledgeable, physically capable and emotionally skilled. We turn up the feeling and we turn it down and we let it go. And now let's see what would happen if we felt both nervous and confident at the same time. Can nervousness and confidence live in your body at the exact same time? What would happen? And now let's let the feeling of worry fill our body. Let the feeling of worry flood your body just for a moment. We're not sure how something's going to turn out. We're not sure if we're capable. Is there a story or an image or a color associated with your worry? Is there a part of your body that holds the worry? Just notice it, getting to know the worry in your body. And then let's let that worry dissipate and let's fill your body with the feeling that everything will be okay. It's like you consulted a crystal ball and it said, everything's going to be okay. And you can rest into that feeling. Everything is going to be okay. And now let's come back to worry. We'll feel just a moment of worry in our body. Where is it held? How does it travel in our body? And then we'll let that worry dissipate and we'll feel that everything will be okay. Fill your body with that feeling. Everything is going to be okay. And now let's see what happens when our body holds the feeling of worry and the feeling that everything will be okay. Is it possible to hold these opposites at the same time?
And now coming back to your breath, taking another nice deep breath and exhaling deeply, letting everything go. And in this quiet, there's a certain comfort in the darkness behind our closed eyes. Imagine the darkness like the fertile ground of a garden ready to be planted. And in the garden, I'd like you to imagine a tiny seed, like a tiny spark of light. And as the seed is nourished by the soil and the rain and warmed by the sun, the seed starts to flourish. First, it sprouts a tiny root. And when the root takes hold, the seed sprouts a tiny shoot that finds its way up into the sunlight. The little seed bursts forward. Here I am. Watch me shine, it says. And as it sprouts leaves, it begins to interact with its environment. Butterflies land upon it. Bees swarm around. And eventually, this little plant sprouts a tiny bud, a flower, not yet in bloom. And as the plant grows towards the summer sunshine, this flower blossoms. I'd like you to imagine the color of your flower and the shape of your flower. And feel that this flower is you. Growing into your own beauty. Growing into your own confidence and filled with the potential of life and possibility. And now let's bring this image back with us as we take a few more nice deep breaths and feel into a spot where we might wanna stretch a little bit, move a little bit. And if you're listening to this before bed and you just want to drift off into a wonderful sleep, you are welcome to do that. And otherwise, let's bring you back to the space you're in, feeling calm, focused, and very, very good. So I hope this has been helpful for any of you out there who might have experienced performance anxiety, who might be preparing for something and just want to kind of get ahead of any issues. And certainly for those of you who may not experience much of any performance anxiety, but maybe who want to have some tools and ideas to share with others in your life, maybe your students or people you come into contact with. It's it's just such a common issue. And I feel like There's been more conversation about it. Certainly you can check out my 2012 interview with Dr. Noah Kagiyama and his website, bulletproofmusician.com. 
And you can also check out my interview back in 2011 with Sam Brown on self-hypnosis for musicians. And there are a lot of other resources out there, but I feel like in our society, there is still somewhat of this sense that maybe performers are just born performers and people who are not born performers maybe shouldn't be performing. And I don't think that that is true. Victoria Molova is certainly a great example, as are all of the other musicians out there who have come forward and said, sure, yeah, I experience anxiety from time to time, but it's okay. I can still play. I can still work through it. I can still share my music. So we'll leave it at that for now. I hope you've enjoyed. And again, I'm Laurel Thompson. You can reach me at my website, laurelthompson.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-L. T-H-O-M-S-E-N, and my email is laurel at laurelthompson.com. You're welcome to send any comments, suggestions, or questions to me, particularly if you have anyone you'd like me to try and interview, or if you have a question that you'd like me to cover either on the podcast here or on my companion to the podcast, The Violin Geek blog, which you can access on my website through the Violin Geek tab. I will say that since the last episode aired, I have put out a new video on my YouTube page, which you can also find a link to through the blog, but all about this little technique that I don't even remember if I developed it or I came across it somewhere. I've been using it for so many years with students, but it's a great little technique for helping us to feel when the bow is straight. And we know that a straight bow is really essential for great tone. So you can head to my YouTube channel to check that out. Or like I said, you can head to the blog and you'll see a post about that particular video there. And of course, if you'd like some individual help and to work with me, you are always welcome to reach out about lessons and coaching. I have several pages on my site about my teaching work and I teach students all over the world online. And I've been doing that for over a decade, well before COVID. So it's business as usual for me. And while my studio is generally pretty full with weekly students, I always have room for people who would like a lesson or a series of lessons to address a certain issue or get a second opinion. So please reach out about that as well. Email is the best way, laurel at laurelthompson.com. And if you enjoyed the little hypnotherapy process as well as the yoga nidra that I shared and would like to listen to those in isolation without having to scroll through the podcast to find them, I would like to make those available as just standalone tracks. And I have a lot of other processes and meditations based around musicianship that I would like to share. So I will try and get those happening by the time this episode comes out. But if not, I will come and update the show notes later on. And if you are looking for that and you're not seeing that link just yet, feel free to reach out to me, send me an email, and I will do my best to get that out to you as soon as possible. Thanks for your interest. Until next time, I hope everyone has a great month out there and happy practicing.